Welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how you can make the most of your superannuation contribution increase, which is about to kick in uh, after 1 July 2021, obviously this year. Uh, So at the moment, employers have to make a compulsory contribution equal to 9.5% of your salary. Um, This is called the uh, superannuation guarantee charge, uh, SGC, for uh, another acronym, just in case you don't have enough acronyms in your life. Uh, And uh, that is proposed, in fact, the Gillard government back in 2012 proposed to increase Uh, the SGC rate uh, from 9.5% gradually to 12%. uh, And that was supposed to happen a few years ago, but it was delayed until uh, 1 July 2021. So this year, of course. Uh, So after 1 July, it will increase by half a percent to 10%. And then over the next uh, four years, it will increase by half a percent each year until it reaches 12% per annum. And, And so, you know, after those increases have gone through, Uh, 12% of your gross uh, income will be contributed into super each year. Now, there was some talk about the Morrison government um, potentially uh, delaying the increase, um, and some concerns were, uh, firstly, that whether business could afford to, to, you know, hire employment costs uh, just after they've gone through or going through uh, the implications or um, impact of the pandemic. Uh, And secondly, uh, some commentators were concerned that um, if we increase super contributions, uh, would that uh, further delay a recovery in wage inflation, so wage growth? And wage growth has been about around 1%, which is below sort of long-term average or mean. And we really need to see uh, wage inflation to return to uh, stimulate the economy and generate some Uh, normal kind of uh, 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 general price inflation, CPI and so forth. Uh, It's my view, so so, uh, to date, there's been uh, nothing from the government to suggest they will, uh, in fact, delay it, and it's a bit late now, so it's almost certain to go through. Uh, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, I think the underlying economy is strong. Uh, Certainly there's sectors um, that have uh, unfortunately worn most of the uh, implications, negative implications of the COVID shutdowns and so forth. But as a general theme, the economy is doing well, so I think it can afford it. Uh, and uh, argue, it's arguable whether there's going to be any wage inflation with or without the uh, super increase and forcing people to increase the amount that they save for retirement to take a long-term view uh, is, I think, a generally a good thing for individuals and a good thing as a country as a whole. So, um, in my view, it's a good decision to continue with the SGC increase as proposed. Okay, so naturally we've got to think about, okay, if our super contributions increase to 12% per annum, what's the impact? You know, is that a magical wand that now we don't have to think about investing in other assets and our super will climb significantly? Well, it does depend on your situation to some extent. Um, but I have um, uh, prepared some financial projections and comparison uh, based on people on different incomes uh, and uh, different starting super balances. And you'll find that table, uh, well, the link is in the show notes and obviously the blog on the website. Uh, but essentially, it helps uh, people with lower 
um, super balances the most. Uh, so if your super balance is, you know, between 100 and, and 200,000, for example, and your income is between, say, 100 and 200,000, well, over a 10-year period, you're going to see somewhere between a 5 to 8% increase. Uh, but over a 20-year period, uh, you're going to see somewhere between 8 and 12% increase. Uh, so so uh, reasonable, uh, but probably not going to change your investment strategy too much. Uh, if you have a much higher super balance today, so four or $500,000, then the increase, um, obviously depending on your income to some extent, is only going to be between 3 and 5% circa. Now I've got a few different calculations in there and permutations, so you can go into that table uh, and see which... Uh, example corresponds uh, most accurately to your situation. Uh, but really for higher income earners, so higher people that have higher super balances, uh, this increase really isn't going to have as greater impact. Because as you can imagine, when you've got half a million dollars of super, it's the earnings on the on that balance that, um, that and the compounding impact of the earnings on that balance that has the greatest impact rather than a, a 3% or 20% increase uh, because you're going from nine and a half to twelve percent, which is about twenty percent increase in contributions, uh, you know it's the earnings rate that will have uh, a greater impact. I think perhaps maybe the most important takeaway is that uh, despite this increase, uh, I don't think it's going to change the fact that for many people that they need to start accumulating assets or they need to have started accumulating assets in addition to super. So whether that's uh, investing in property or shares or uh, you know, assets in addition to super to sort of complement that. Um, super alone for most people and particularly the audience of this podcast won't be enough to fund a comfortable retirement or their desired uh, retirement. Uh, so um, putting that aside, irrespective of uh, sort of which camp you fall into, you know, the people with the lower super balance that, that the contributions will help, um, to a greater extent, or, or if you have a significant super balance now, even more important to really focus on two factors. The first one is you need to minimise fees. And fees are guaranteed, of course, investment returns are not. Uh, now, it's funny, in life, the more you pay typically with things, the, the better quality or better experience or better outcome you receive. Uh, well, it's the inverse relationship uh, when it comes to investing. In fact, there's been a lot of different studies that show that there's an inverse relationship between fees and investment performance. And quite often, the more that you pay an investment manager, quite often, ironically, or, or um, sadly, perhaps, uh, the lower the returns. Uh, so therefore, uh, we should have a almost fanatical focus on fees, uh, and that is pay the, the lowest fee possible. Now, of course, um, you can cut your nose off to spite your face. Uh, sometimes going absolutely raw lowest cost, um, what it does do is um, limits your, uh, sometimes limits the available methodologies and so forth to, to invest, and that can end up costing, uh, you know, costing more in missed returns uh, than lower fees. Uh, but as a general theme, uh, the, the lower the fees, the better. If you're with an industry super fund, uh, you should expect to be paying a total administration investment fee of less than 0.7%. Uh, 
uh, and plus normally they charge a sort of a weekly fee uh, that amounts to somewhere between 100 and 140 dollars a year so not a lot but really 0.7 of a percent is the key if you're paying more than that uh, then it might uh, pay you to sort of look elsewhere so that's the first factor is really understanding the fees that you're paying in the super environment and making sure that you're um, paying something that's that's at market level, which is that 0.7 of a percent. Uh, the second factor is, of course, uh, it should be really obvious, maximising returns. Now, industry super funds have, um, uh, you know, have, have, have played a, a more prominent role in the super industry over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, certainly, they spent a lot of money on advertising on the TV, so I think we're all aware of uh, industry super funds, and quite often they uh, espouse the benefit that they're not-for-profit, unlike the banks or retail funds. Uh, and, of course, uh, all things being equal, that should serve you well, uh, and certainly I would agree that almost all, in fact, maybe all retail funds are inferior compared to industry super funds. However, there's two important points I would like to make in respect to those industry super funds. Firstly, not aiming to derive a profit is useless unless you have a fanatical focus on productivity and what really what you're trying to do is reduce costs. So think of it, you know, to use an analogy, think of like charities. You know, some charities spend more than 40% of the amount of donations they receive on just administration, advertising and those sorts of things. Those costs really don't help the, you know, the ultimate... Um, beneficiaries of that charity, the reason why you're making that donation. And for example, um, I did a bit of research in Australia, the Make-A-Wish Foundation spent 44% of its revenue that was donated uh, on administration and advertising. You know, so only 56% of the money that you donate, nearly half of the money you donate actually goes to granting the wishes. Uh, and I think, you know, if I was a charity, that's got to be one of the key focuses is making sure that, okay, we're not for profit, but let's make sure we're as most effective as possible. And the industry funds, you know, use the tagline run to only benefit members. And that's a nice tagline. But if you're not worried about costs and accountability and productivity, then it doesn't really flow through to actually benefiting members. And the Productivity Commission released a report in 2019 that said that industry super fund, the whole industry sector, has really failed to deliver uh, lower fees and, and uh, um, take advantage of the massive scale that they've enjoyed over that time. The second comment I would have is uh, just because your fund is in an industry super fund doesn't automatically make it a good option. Industry super fund investment returns can vary greatly. And in fact, what I did is compared the returns of the top eight or the most well-known eight industry super funds, uh, and I ranked their returns from highest to lowest, and I compared the returns from the top two to the bottom two. And the variance over a five to 10 year period was around about 1%, 1% per annum in terms of returns from uh, out of the top eight well-known industry funds. And over a 30-year period, sorry, over a 20-year period, that could result in having a 13% lower balance. So that's more effectual, more impactful uh, than uh, the change in the SGC contribution rate. So that's why making sure you're with a fund that's delivering uh, quality returns is so important and arguably a lot more important than uh, your contribution rate. 
the government has uh, made some noise about uh, trying to rectify this and uh, what they're going to do, what they're working on is uh, publishing um, investment returns on an easy to understand sort of website so people can just go in and, and compare options. Uh, they're also going to put some uh, laws in place and rules and, and uh, so forth to uh, encourage or force poor performing funds to consolidate uh, with better performers, so to get rid of those outliers. Uh, th- these um, initiatives uh, sound very good, but of course, uh, they you know their, their benefit lies in uh, whether they're going to be implemented correctly and meaningfully. Uh, so that's something to look out for. Now, what I'm most interested in is seeing um, what this SGC increase over the next uh, five years does to um, fees. Because if you think about it logically, if you're a super fund and you're receiving $1,000 of contributions, for example, and if you're charging 0.7 of 1%, then you're charging uh, a fee of $7 for every $1,000 that you're receiving of contributions. Now, when the SGC rate increases from 9.5% to 12% over the next five years, instead of receiving um, $1,000, you're going to receive $1,260 of contributions. Now, whether you're managing $1,000 or $1,200 really doesn't really change your uh, your cost profile very much. So arguably, the cost should still be $7 uh, to to run that money. Uh, And therefore, your... Um, uh, fee rate should drop to 0.55 of 1%, so from 0.7 to 0.55. So it'd be really interesting to see, we should really expect to see a 15 to 20% reduction in fees. Now, according to the Productivity Commission's report in 2019, that hasn't happened. Uh, So will it happen in the future? I'm not really sure. However, it's really important to note that there's going to be a new player in the superannuation market for which uh, perhaps sadly it reflects some uh, what I'm interested in but I'm quite excited about uh, because I think it will uh, promote more productivity, um, accountability and lower fees uh, from the industry super funds. So before I talk about that, historically there's really been four options for um, super investors. The first one is retail funds. So they're uh, MLC, AMP, those sorts of things, uh, typically owned by the large banks or insurance companies, and they're characterised by you know high fees and low returns, almost always never a good option. Uh, the second one is wrap accounts, and I've done a podcast on wrap accounts, um, and uh, they're, they're very, very, they're fantastic products. But one of the disadvantages is that it, to run a, a wrapper pa- account properly, you need to engage with the financial advisor, uh, which is which might be economical if you have needs over and above super, like there's a whole strategy that you need to implement. Uh, but if it's just super alone, it, that's not going to suit everyone, or in fact, it will suit the minority of people. The second one is self-managed super. One of the advantages of self-managed super is that all the a lot of the fees are fixed; they're not percentage-based. Uh, so the more you accumulate in a self-managed super fund for, on a percentage basis, the lower your fees get. Um, therefore, it only really suits either people with very large balances or people that want to invest in direct property, whether it's commercial or residential property. Uh, the only way to do that in super is if you have a self-managed super fund. And the fourth option, which I've been talking about, is industry super fund and, and super funds. And really, it's the best um, best option for people that don't have a financial advisor or don't have a very large balance and or want to invest in property. 
However, in the next uh, one, maybe two years, Vanguard will launch a product. Uh, So Vanguard used to uh, offer services to the industry super funds on a wholesale basis. It has withdrawn from that market, so um, it's lost a lot of revenue as a result. Uh, And Vanguard is going to launch a product uh, that's available to Australians so so they can put their super with Vanguard. Uh, They've been doing it in the US. um, It's called a 401k in the US. They've been doing it in the US for a long time. So Vanguard is the largest index fund provider and the first index fund provider in the world. Uh, It was founded um, in 1975. Uh, and it manages over nine trillion dollars globally. So you know it's a it's a big player and it has significant economies of scale. It's also a mutual organisation, meaning it's a not for profit. So just like the industry super funds, however, unlike the industry super funds, it has over five decades of history of reducing fees. So as a product starts to accumulate more and more money, they will reduce fees if they can find ways to run that product uh, at a at a lower cost. So really, you know that you are paying the absolute lowest cost fee uh, possible. It has trading desks around the world, and that's really, really important. That's something that the industry fund, super funds cannot compete with uh, in terms of implementing uh, their strategies and delivering the lowest cost and better outcomes. Uh, if you have trading desks uh, in different geographical uh, markets around the world, uh, you're going to be able to implement that uh, at a much better uh, outcome. Now, whilst Vanguard hasn't released a lot of details around this product, um, uh, they will do so in, uh, shortly, I'm, I'm sure, and and no doubt uh, I'll be uh, doing a, a podcast or writing a blog about it when it occurs. Um, but I, I think Vanguard uh, will generate some much-needed competition uh, for industry super funds and, to some extent, uh, keep them honest. Now... If you are with a super fund uh, that's either charging you high fees or the returns aren't great, um, then uh, you should obviously consider switching funds. But there's a couple of things to take into account before you do that. And of course, this is no substitute for personalised advice. So uh, there, there always can be some idiosyncrasies or uniqueness with your either personal situation or your super fund. So it's easy important to get some personalised advice. Um, but just generally, some considerations are, uh, firstly, some employer-related funds offer subsidies or lower cost or sometimes free insurances. So if your super fund is linked or provided by your employer, that's something to look out for. Uh, secondly, if you have insurance cover, so even if it's not linked to your employer, if you do have insurance cover what you need to, and you want to switch, what you need to do is think about replicating that insurance cover at your new Uh, super fund. But be careful with this because um, there might be some underwriting, so they might not approve that level of cover, or uh, it might not be economical. You know, the premiums might be higher at this new super fund. So typically what we do in our business, we we would roll over some monies into that new super fund, apply for replacement cover. When replacement cover is approved, that's when we would cancel the cover in our old fund and roll over the remaining monies. Uh, If, for whatever reason, replacement cover uh, wasn't available or it was too costly, uh, then what we would do is just leave a minimum balance in our old fund, uh, retain the just to retain the insurance and pay for the insurance premium, but have you know 
95% or more of our monies in this new uh, fund that's hopefully providing better returns at, at a lower cost. So insurance and employer benefits are just two considerations before you uh, think about sort of jumping ship. Now, I realise that most people just don't, can't get excited about super and, and uh, fair enough, I understand to some extent, uh, but uh, it's something that you really need to uh, take an interest in. Uh, and it doesn't have to take up a lot of your time. Uh, every couple of years, checking in to make sure your uh, fund is performing well um, and its fees are, uh, are commensurate with, you know, with the market uh, as low as possible. Uh, and so you're minimising fees and, and maximising performance. Uh, and typically, uh, you can do that with the same fund. So as I said at the beginning, it's not true that you need to pay higher fees for, for better performance. But the benefit of the, the really good thing about super is it forces people to take a very long-term view. And they should do that inside and outside super. Um, but in inside super, you are obviously are forced to take a very long-term view because you can't access it until you're uh, 60 years of age. So it is a very powerful product, although it's compulsory, a very powerful product. And we should make sure uh, that it's working really hard for us because the difference between an okay super fund and a fantastic one uh, can literally uh, be hundreds and thousands of dollars at the end of the day. So that's it from me this week. Uh, until next week, bye for now.